This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author of Fanatical Prospecting Sales EQ, Objections and Inked, and I'm here to help you fill up your pipeline, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. Welcome back to the Sales Gravy Podcast. On this episode, we're talking about networking. Now, not just any type of networking, networking for introverts. If you're the type of person that when you walk into a room full of other people, it makes you feel nervous, afraid, if you have a hard time connecting, if you just don't feel comfortable, you're going to dig this podcast because we're, we're going to teach you some tactics and tips that will allow you to get past your fears and make the connections that will help you build your business and fill up your pipeline. And I know personally that that networking is not a place that I feel comfortable. So this conversation that I had with Matthew Pollard, who is an expert in introverts, it really helped me think differently about how I'm going to approach networking in the future. Before we get started, I've got a brand new way for you to network with me. And it's a little bit different than what you're used to on social media. And honestly, I've just gotten a little bit tired of social media and I'm tired of trying to have conversations with people that everybody can see. So I created an insider group and the insider group is a way for you to talk directly to me. You can just say hello. You can give me ideas for podcasts. You can ask me questions. One of my members of my insider group asked me a question a day about a job interview. Another asked me a question about asking for a raise. Somebody else asked me a question about prospecting. Now, it's super easy to join my insider group. All you need to do is send a text to 1-706-397-4599. That's 1-706-397-4599. You can just type in Hi Jeb, or you can send me Sales Gravy, or really you can type in anything, but that will get you into the insider group. There's no cost, and it's something brand new, so we're all trying to figure this out at the same time, but I've really liked it so far. We've got a really good group of people, and it's been an opportunity for me to connect directly with the people who listen to my podcast and read my books, and a really good opportunity for you to connect directly with me. Just send me a text message at one. 706-397-4599. Now here's my conversation with Matthew Pollard on networking for introverts. Hi, we're back in the clubhouse. I'm Jeb Blunt, CEO of Sales Gravy and the author of Virtual Selling. And we're here with Matthew Pollard, one of my very favorite authors and trainers. And we're talking about his brand new book, Introverts Edge Networking. So this is going to be a conversation about networking, about how introverts can network. And oh, by the way, if you're an extrovert, stick around because you're probably going to learn something too. Matthew, welcome to the clubhouse. Matt, I'm excited to be back. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So let's just jump in and talk about this brand new book. It's a sequel to Introvert's Edge, which was one of my favorite books. And you and I talked about this a while back, and we've done a couple of series of podcasts and videos on this. So Introvert's Edge Networking. So first of all, when I think about networking, we talked about this before, I'm an introvert. If I can think about the one place that I would prefer not to be, it's at a networking event of any kind. I can't stand them. Even though I have to go to them, I hate them. Let's talk about what inspired you to, to write this book. And maybe you have some advice for people like me who literally I would prefer never to go to a networking event ever. You know, I think it's interesting. You know, a lot of people don't like networking. And I think it's because they don't understand what networking really is, right? So they go to networking events and they see these people that kind of transactional network. Do you want to buy something from me? No. Do you want to buy something from me? No. And it's, it's just a horrible thing. So what happens is people tend to be more that aimless network. You know, they, they, don't, they have these surface level conversations with people and they walk out with all these business cards and they, they don't really have a real conversation with anyone. So they, they put the cards on the desk and they're like, if they call me, then I'll work with them. And of course they never do. So they have this mindset of, you know, networking just doesn't work. And the truth is it does work. They're just doing it wrong. People need to be more strategic when they're networking they need to understand what networking is but then secondly networking doesn't just take place in a networking room i mean your new book virtual selling i mean people assume you have to be face to face it just doesn't work virtually and now people are realizing well they can actually sell more if they stay at home well the truth is that networking works the same way i mean the whole goal of this book 
is to teach you how to network efficiently in the room so that you never have to go back to, to one. But the truth is that most people, they don't even know how to articulate the value of what they offer in three minutes when someone's politely listening. What chance they have when someone gives them half a second online? Well, let's, let's start with the stack of business cards. So this is something that I run into often. So I teach fanatical prospecting. I'm working with a group. A lot, of, a lot of times I'm working with like professionals. So we'll be working with people who sell insurance or financial services and they go to networking events. And the, one of the groups that I can remember was a group I was working with out in Orange County. And they were going to these networking events with accountants and people who like CPAs. And they were talking to me about how they would go to these events, but they weren't really getting anything out of them. So I asked them what the process was. And they said, well, we would go. And then we talk to people and we collect their business cards. And then we come back and, and, and then we wait for them to call us. And they go, well, okay, well, the, my, well, what about you calling them? Well, we do call them, but sometimes we'll call them like three weeks later or four weeks later. But we want to bother them like right after the networking event. And I'm, I'm like, I'm going, wow. Like, I mean, this, like, this is not hard why don't you try calling them 24 hours after the networking event because they're probably going to remember you. Now, the advice I gave them was this. I said, the next networking event you go to, when you get their business card, write down, this is, and this is how I do networking events, even though I hate being at them, is I write down something about the person on the back of the business card. So somebody hands me a business card, write something down. As I walk away, I go to my LinkedIn app on my phone and I send them a connection request because they know me. So the probability that since they just met me that they accept my request goes up exponentially. And then because they have a, they gave me a business card, usually has their cell phone number on it, right? So I send them a text message and I say, it was really nice meeting you. Thank you so much for the conversation. I'll give you a call tomorrow. And most of the time people write back and say, okay. And then I call them tomorrow. And if you do that, your, your, your appointments go up exponentially. So we worked with this group on this and, and followed up with them a couple of weeks later. And sure enough, it was working for them. Suddenly, they were meeting people, then calling them, and they were getting meetings. And it, But the thing for me was, I mean, just even as a trainer and a consultant and people pay me to do this, I'm baffled that, that someone had to explain that that's what you have to do. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious, first of all, you know, what's your take? And then, because we're talking about the end of networking, like you've, you've, you've made the connection. Well, we can go back to the beginning of how do we start the conversation, which is the hardest thing for me. And then, and then I think we can talk about this whole concept of networking on, online. So, so let's just start there. Like, so, <laughs> I, think one of the, I think one of the issues that people have when, I mean, the follow-up is that they start it wrong so that it ends up awkward at the end which means they feel like they had this loose connection and, and therefore they start to tell them, oh, those people weren't really interested or, you know, so they'll reach out to me. So from if I take a sales mindset, connecting with people on social media, you know, straight after walking out of, out of the room means that they're starting to foster that relationship, right? So I'll say, you know, connect with them on LinkedIn. Depending on your relationship, why not connect with them on Facebook? Check them out on Instagram. You know, the amount, I tell the story in the book about this executive from Dell was really into Peloton. So I got to, you know, I actually, you know, one of the things I always suggest to people is before you go to the room, if it's a meetup group, most people register to go with like their LinkedIn profile. So check the people out that you want to speak to. So instead of all these unfamiliar faces, you actually have a bunch of people you've already connected with before you go. So it should be a bunch of pre-planned conversations. But the main focus that I suggest is, yes, absolutely. You should have a plan to connect with them afterwards, but it should be more of a, you know, uh, I look forward to speaking with you tomorrow because you should never stop a conversation without a planned next follow-up. Now, what's the problem is, is because you introduce yourself incorrectly, it then leads to this kind of awkward conversation where you say, oh, I'm in insurance. Oh, you know, I, I hate insurance. Or I, you know, I, I've already got insurance. Thanks. And now you've got this awkward dance before you have to ask them what they do. And then the conversation's over. So you have to then become a salesperson to follow up and make sure it works. My suggestion is to change the dynamic altogether. I actually, because we used insurance, let's use insurance as an example. I had this guy, Nick Jensen, who came to me and he said, you know, Matt, I love selling insurance. He said, the problem that I have is when I go to networking events and I say to someone, I sell insurance, it's like I watch their eyes scream and they're like, how do I get out of this conversation in less than three minutes? Like, can I run to the bathroom? Can I go to the bar? And he said, so I explain to people what I do, but I already know they're switched off. So they'll, you know, at the end, they'll say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good, thanks. And then I feel obligated to ask them. Now I've just wasted the money of going, the time of going, it's stressful. I said, all right, well, let's take a step back because if you're commoditizing yourself and saying, I fit this category, 
I already know from the moment I speak to you, I can disqualify you or say I need it. And I know that that's what most people do in the numbers game of transactional sales networking. But for me, I want to introduce myself differently. I said, but to do that, I need to come down to why you actually care about this product. And if you don't care about the product or service that you're selling, and if you don't think it adds value, find something else. But what I find is most people gravitate to the products and the services that they are connected with in some way, shape, or form. So I asked Nick, I said, why are you passionate about selling insurance? And he said, well, I just, I really like to help people. And I said, well, let's go deeper than that. I want to understand why specifically you help them. So let's say person that earns $50,000 a year versus somebody that earns $250,000. Which one do you care about helping most? His response, well, the guy that earns $250,000 because I can sell them more stuff. And I'm like, well, that's not really where we want to go with this, Nick. So what about a guy that hustled to get into a Harvard degree qualification and then you know, started to get a job and got into his C-level executive role, makes $250,000 versus someone that starts their own business out of nothing, hires a bunch of people, and now they make $250,000. Which one of those do you care about helping most? And he's like, well, obviously the small business owner. And I'm like, why the small business owner? And he's like, well, I just feel like they deserve more help. And I'm like, well, the guy from Harvard studied hard. He got into the degree. Why them? He said, I just feel like they deserve it more. And, you know, it's because my, my grandfather, you know, he started a business. He owned a farm. He hired all these people. He said, then he got sick. And he ended up having to sell the farm. And he ended up, I just watched him wither away and die for 10 years in front of a TV in this little cramped apartment because that's all he could afford. I said, all right. Here's what I want you to think about. Instead of going in and introducing yourself as an insurance salesperson, why not introduce yourself as the hustle lifeguard? And then when people ask what exactly that is, you then talk about your passion and mission for helping the hustlers of this world, the people that create something out of nothing, not forget to prioritize themselves in this puzzle and end up in miserable retirements like your grandfather. And then share a story about a person that you worked with that you that wasn't prioritizing their future and could have ended up in a really bad situation then you'll find that people will gravitate to you what was funny is that all the small business owners that heard that they're like oh my gosh i need that you're right i'm not prioritizing i don't want to end up like your grandfather but everybody that wasn't a small business owner, because we never experience anyone that's truly passionate about what they do they try to extend their, his passion to what they do and they're like well i'm not in small business but can i work with you too it transformed everything and he's he went from an employee to starting his own business and his business exploded. Let's step back and think about this, this conversation, whether it's virtual or what have you. So first of all, you got to have a good story and you've got to be able to articulate what you do in a way that, that, that piques people's, you know, their interest. Like the same thing, you know, I walk in and I say, what do you do? I go, I teach people how to sell. I can just see people like they start moving the other way as fast as they can because I, I don't know why that's it's a turnoff, but it's just a turnoff. And I and I and I guess you're telling the story about the insurance guy. I know I, I've been to like chamber of commerce networking events and like what do you do? I'm an insurance agent, and the, the first thing I'm doing is I'm backpedaling because I'm like, okay, I know what's coming next, and I don't want it. <laughs> so so I get that. So it's 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 the ability to connect. One of the things that I do as as an as an introvert to network, and I and I've done it very successfully, is and, I, and it's not going to networking events, it's interviewing people. Now, I've got the benefit of, you know, I'm an author, I write books, uh, and but I think anybody could do this. Like, you could, you could easily spin up a Zoom call or a podcast or what have you and interview people. So I'll ask people at companies that I want to connect with or individuals I want to connect with and build a relationship with if I can interview them. And it allows me to ask them questions and let them talk. And what I found is that when people are talking, they like me. Like if, I, if I'm talking, they don't like me. If they're talking, they like me. And I've built some amazing relationships and connections. Like even, even our connection is, you know, I've never met you in person. And it's, and it's gotten closer and closer the more we've gotten to know each other. But it's all been just having these type of conversations. But I found that when I do that, it works. And so I've, I've applied that to networking. So I'll go to networking events where I feel incredibly uncomfortable. I feel so self, self-conscious and conspicuous in networking events. And I feel really awkward. Like you wouldn't believe, I just, I just can't stand them. But I'm forced into them all the time, especially with a chamber of commerce and working locally. Or if I'm in situations where I'm at a client's event and they ask me to go walk around. I've used the same thing. So when I meet someone, what I'm doing is I'm essentially changing my mindset and I'm turning it into an interview where I'm asking them questions about them. What do they do? How do they do it? And what I found is that when I do that, eventually the conversation will turn to, well, what do you do and what about you? So they've, they've actually leaned into 
my, you know, my, my 30 second commercial or my story for a moment. And I'm wondering what your take on that is. And, and then, and then the thing that I find, and I think I want to walk back through this again, that I find that I'm still awkward with is when they ask me what I do, I still, I'm, I'm still do that, that thing where I go, well, I teach people how to train, but you know, I write books. Like, I don't, you know, I, I, like, I don't like I'm, I'm get, and I truly do this. Like you, if you watch me, you would be appalled. I go, I write a few books here and there, you know, so I don't really, like, I, I never go like, this is what I do. I have this company. And, and so I need to get better at that. But like, like what's your advice for someone like me who, who feels that way? And, it, and is that the, the right, right approach to get them talking first before I go? Yeah. Firstly, so absolutely it is. So one of the introvert strengths, if you like, is our ability to be empathetic and ask great questions and uh, really listen to what the answers are, right? So an extrovert a lot of times wants to talk about themselves. Now, that doesn't, I'm not extroverted bashing here. I mean, in truth, extroverts can learn how to actively listen and empathize. It's the introverts that believe they can't learn to do those other behaviors. And the key isn't about being more extroverted. That's a, that's a true recipe for failure and feeling inauthentic. You have to learn a system that channels your introverted strengths. The thing that I will tell you, though, is absolutely, like when you go and speak to someone for the first time, it's about being interested, not interesting. Now, the focal point is that you, a lot of people worry that they've got nothing to add. Sometimes, they, I mean, you've got to think about the person that's going networking wants to talk about themselves. They're hoping that that comes up. I mean, that's why they're networking. So if you walk up and say, oh, what brought you to this networking event? Something will come up or what's going on in your life at the moment? They'll say, oh, we just got promoted or this just happened. Be genuinely excited for them. Or if they say, oh, you know, I almost didn't get here because something's going on at the office. Ask them questions about it. Empathize. If you can offer assistance or advice, do that, sure. But eventually what will happen is somebody will say, oh, my gosh, Jeff, I can't believe I haven't even asked you what it is that you do. And then you get permission to answer. Now, if you say, you know, I'm an insurance salesperson, it's not going to go so well. They're still going to scream, right? But, I mean, I know that feeling. I mean, the first time when I went from running my own companies to selling myself for the first time, I said I was a sales trainer. I wasn't even out networking. I was in my apartment complex. I just moved to the United States. And I was talking to a guy that owned a gym. And he said, oh, what is it you do? And I said, oh, I'm a sales trainer. And he explained this story of this sales trainer that he'd worked with in the past. It was one step above a scam artist. And now he's looking at me that way. And now I'm trying to explain why I'm different. Like I've got magic ruby slippers. Like it's a different thing, right? So I couldn't go that way. So the next time I went, that's it. I'm not saying I'm a sales trainer anymore. I went, you know what? I'm going to say I'm a marketing specialist. Well, the first time at a networking event, I said that. They said, oh, I need marketing. How much do you cost? And now what? I've got to try and dodge the price question because, you know, that's the last thing in the sales process. So it still felt uncomfortable. And that's when I came up with this idea. It's like, you know what? What I do isn't really just sales. And what I do isn't just marketing. What I do isn't just online or offline. As a matter of fact, I can bring all those silos together. I mean, we all work in corporate. There's marketing departments and sales departments. Often they don't like each other. They definitely don't communicate. And in a small business, you hire a marketing trainer and a sales trainer. And often those things conflict. So my ability to bring all that together means that I have this unique ability to help people create rapid growth within their organization. So I went, you know what? Because I can do it all in one brain without having the arguments, I'm going to call myself the rapid growth guy. And I remember that the first time I told someone I was going to call myself that, it was a friend of mine. And he said, mate, you sound more like a male enhancement drug. Like that's the last thing you want to do is call yourself that. Now I've had to trademark the name because everyone wants to be the rapid growth guy. But what was interesting is when somebody says, oh my gosh, Matt, I can't believe I haven't asked you what you do. I then say I'm the rapid growth guy. And instead of saying I'm a sales trainer, which immediately puts me in this box, I've now said something that intrigues them. It gets them to go, well, I don't have a box for that. It's like their brain has a malfunction. And they're like, what exactly is that? And then I get to explain on their invitation, which is what Mick got to say when he said, I'm the hustle lifeguard. Now I then talk about my passion and mission and I can move into a story. But here's the power play. The first thing is I was interested in them first. I gave them value. I asked them questions. I made it all about them and multiple minutes passed. So when they get me explaining and telling stories, I've, bought, I've, I've, I've created that law of reciprocity where they're willing to listen. But secondly, using the science of a hook statement where I call myself the rapid growth guy and they truly want to understand. And then the science behind story, which we'll have to do another interview on at some stage, which automatically short circuits the logical brain and speaks to the emotional one, all of a sudden you're in story time mode. 
And they're so interested in what I say. And at the end of them telling my story, they're like, oh my gosh, I want what Nick has. Or, oh my gosh, I want what Wendy has. And at that point, you're really saying to them, well, now's not really the right time for that. You know what? We should catch up for a virtual coffee next week and we can have a dialogue. Now, the other thing that I see people make the mistake with all the time is they think that the biggest outcome that they want is somebody saying, oh my gosh, I want to buy that. Well, you know, Jeb, if the first time I met you, I was trying to sell you something, that would be a terrible outcome because the true relationships, the prospects, they're, they're great, but the true relationships you really want in a networking room are what I call momentum partners and champions. Now, the momentum partners are the people who are, oh, well, your stuff's great. Let me introduce you to this person. Let me get you on that podcast. And you do the same for them because you truly value their work. And then you've got those champions, people like yourself, for me, that you know are willing to write forwards for your book, are willing to put you on podcast because they see value in your work and they give your work credibility because of that. Networking is all about making those two relationships. But most people are so focused on that transactional sale that they forget that those are the two groups of people that are their leap, their, their way out of the hamster wheel of going to networking groups. Okay, that was powerful. That was really good. So I love this. So, so tell me about these two people one more time. Let's just make sure we nail this down. You've got momentum. So built, it's a momentum partner. Momentum and a partner and a, and a champion. champion. Now, how we define those, and Judy Robinette's a great example of a momentum partner for me. When I first met Judy, I wrote an article for Entrepreneur Magazine. And she read it and she, you know, she'd been very successful in the finance world. And she finally moved out to start her own business. And she wrote a book called How to Be a Power Connector. And all of a sudden, she had all these people asking her to come and speak, and she reached out to me, and I identified that she knew, I mean, she's probably one of the most connected people on the planet. And I realized that, now, I could have sold her something and, you know, made a few thousand dollars, which when I was just starting the business would have given my ego a little bit of a boost. But instead, what I did is I added value, I gave her guidance, and, and what I found is she started to give me introductions. And I could have said in my mind, well, she's paying me back for the advice I gave. But then what happened is I started to give her introductions. She was promoting her book, so I started to introduce her to podcast hosts because it's hard to get on podcasts. We, everybody gets inundated with podcast requests. So I would send her introductions to podcasts. So she started to do the same. I think, you know, Judy and I have introduced each other probably to 50 podcasts each. And we've all, our businesses have both grown out of it. It wasn't we signed an agreement, and I think a lot of people do this, where they agree, oh, I'll send you stuff if you send me, you send me stuff. The natural people are just givers. The people you want relationships with are not transactional. You do this and I'll do that. But they're people that are just true givers. So Judy started to give me things. I started to give her things. My business has blown up because of her and hers. I, I, I've heard this for the same reason. Now, so that's great. And those are partnerships that you want to develop. The champions, though, are people like, you know, you for me, Ivan Meisner, the founder of B&I. You know, I was just on his podcast. It's one of the biggest in the world, like yours. And, you know, he, you know, I told people, you know, you don't need to buy my book. I give away the first chapter at the introvertsedge.com forward slash free. And he's like, no, everybody you need to buy Matt's book, right? And, he, and then went into a, you know, a complete infomercial about why my book adds value, right? Those people with that high credibility, you try and sell them something. No, I mean, what you want is for those people to, that with their wealth of experience and their networks, they've spent a lifetime developing to introduce you to other high-level people, to give your work credibility, to endorse your work, to share your stuff on social media. That is the thing that is by far the most valued. Now, sure, if we have a short-term focus, if we need a deal today, we've got to close a deal, fine. You're going to find prospects in the room. And if, by the way, if you try and sell to your prospects in the room, it's never going to go well. And I do this role play with clients all the time where I'll be like, okay, you know, Jeb, sell me, uh, you know, do you go through your networking process. And at the end, I'm like, oh my gosh, I need what Wendy has. Can you tell me what working with you looks like? And they always go straight into the explanation of what their package is and how it works. I'm like, oh, Bob, I'm so glad you walked over. And I, I explain, so you're going to get interrupted. So never sell in the networking room. Explain that it's not the time for it. Set up another meeting. And that way you don't have an awkward business card sitting on your desk. But when you find a momentum partner, offer to give them introductions and make the next contact the, the conversation around, oh, these are the introductions that I promise you. I, I, I just wanted to make sure you got all those introductions okay. Now, I always suggest three introductions because the first two, you give them to them straight away. The third one, wait a few days and send them the third one then because it reminds them, oh, I haven't done anything for him. I haven't given them any introductions. Now, sure, if you don't get anything back, you know that they're a taker kind of relationship and that's fine. It's cost you three introductions. Who cares? Now, when you see champions, these people a lot of the time, they 
always have things that can give them value. Like Brian Smith, the founder of Billion Dollar Brand, Uggbooks. When I met him, he was trying to get into the speaker business. So I talked to him about my three-story keynote and how it made me one of the top 50 speakers in the world. And it just explained to him how to do it and how easy it was. And he's an introvert too. So I explained how to be authentic from stage. Like it wasn't huge. I mean, he's created a billion-dollar brand. But since then, we've had a great friendship. When I looked at Jim Cathcart, who's probably the one of the most award-winning speakers on the planet, you know, he's kind of old school and I needed to help him get into the digital age. So I gave him some advice on how he can automate his social so he's not taking photos of his donut at three o'clock in the afternoon just for something to say on social media. And that added value. These, are, these were things that started in networking rooms that led to long relationship. I mean, I consider Jim Cathcart one of my, one of my very good friends. Every time I'm in town, I, I pop over to see him. You know, my wife and his wife get along great. But it started in a networking room by me not trying to sell them things. Sometimes you need to realize that a, a small sales pitch that leads to an initial amount of money, and both of those people would have paid me, would have killed any opportunity to create the relationships and the spoils of those relationships and great friendships forevermore. I, I want to break down a couple of things that you said there because I think they're important. I think one is that it's it's all about reciprocity. So we're we're tapping into this this innate human desire to give back when someone gives something to us. Sometimes people don't give back. And if you enter a networking relationship with the expectation that if you give, you're gonna get, you're basically starting off with premeditated resentment. So you can't do that. You walk in with a total idea. If I meet someone, I'm gonna do something for them to try to help them and I'm just gonna do it the best way that I can. I think, I think also recognizing that we've all probably been in that situation where we've shifted into a story quasi sales pitch and then been interrupted in the middle of it. And the way that it makes us feel, especially if you're an introvert, that really makes you feel bad. Like you, you, were, like you couldn't finish what you were saying and it, was just, it, it just didn't go well. So ditch the pitch, like stop pitching and have a conversation. And then back to something I think was, that was you didn't really like nail down, but it was brilliant, is if you say I'm insurance, if you say I'm self string, if you say things that are patterns that people recognize, they ignore them. And you started getting into the, like the, the, the power stories in the human brain, but there's a couple of things that are happening. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit both of these for our audience and they hear this. First of all, if you, if you lead with, tell me about you, and you get them talking, you're able to trigger something called the self-disclosure loop. And what this is, is a dopamine hit that they get to their brain as they're talking about themselves. There's science behind this. You can watch this on MRIs. When people are talking about themselves, the pleasure centers of their brain light up like a Christmas tree. So by the time they say, look, tell me a little bit about you, like they are so lit up on brain crack, they don't even know what to do. Like they feel good at that moment. They're ready, like they're ready for a story, they're ready to lean in, they're ready for those things. And if you say something or do something that disrupts patterns, like you say, I'm the rapid growth guy, they don't have a, like you said, they don't have a box for that. All of a sudden, this little part of their brain called the amygdala, we've talked about the amygdala before, I think in our conversations, it goes, whoa, I don't know what that is. That's different, that's new, it's unique, it's shiny, it's bright, it might be sexy, let's pay attention. So they lean in. If you say, I sell insurance, the amygdala goes, I know all about insurance. Insurance wastes my cognitive capacity and I don't want to spend time and effort on that. So they go, I don't want to pay attention to this. They turn you off. So you're, you're literally playing a brain game. I mean, this is human neuroscience. So you, you disrupt that and then you tell them a story. So they feel good and then you disrupt them and they love, like the brain loves bright and shiny. They lean in and then you tell them a unique story that connects with them and then you give them things you tap into reciprocity so they feel good about you. Then you make them feel even better. And, and then they give you something back and then you feel good. And all of a sudden the relationship, it, you know, it moved on. But the way that you explained it is you're getting out of being transaction. And by the way, transactional, if you treat a networking event like a transaction, it'll probably treat you like a transaction. And you start thinking long game. I'm playing the long game here. I'm looking for you know, the, the, where this might go. So I, I, it's, a, it's a brilliant system. If you just think about it, it really is a system. Where we, where we probably need to go back to is the beginning, like, like before you get there and what are you doing? So quick story from, from my world. I, I have a, a couple of software clients and they're an enterprise level software. The, the thing about these clients is that they can't sell unless they're talking to the C-suite. 
And the problem is talking to the C-suite is really, really hard, especially when you call the CEO and go, hey, I sell software, click. I mean, they don't want to talk to anybody selling software. So the way that they make these connections and they're in the industry in the financial and banking space that is like risk averse, really hard to connect with people. There are literally like fortresses built around these people so they can meet them at conferences. So they were going to these conferences and they weren't getting a lot out of them. So they, when, when we sat down and had this conversation, we sat in their war room and we were bringing one up. I said, you know, I think the problem is like, you're just going there and you're randomizing your networking. You're in these, you're in these mixers, you're in the trade show, you're coming out. All of these people are there, but you, don't, you didn't go there with a purpose. What we did was we backed up and we said, okay, do we know who's gonna be there? They went, yeah, we, when we're paying a lot of money, they're giving us a list of the attendees. Okay, great. So there's this thing called LinkedIn. I don't know if you've heard of it, but we could go there and we can actually look these folks up. And we, so we did that. And then we grabbed their pictures. We got their pictures and we put their pictures essentially on a dossier. Like here's, a, like here's the picture, here's their profile, everything about them. Here are the questions that we wanna ask them. Here's a way of kicking off the, the, the conversation. Because you know, with a C-level executive, you, if, when you approach them and you ask them a question, it needs to be something relevant that they're interested in having a conversation about that cannot be about you pitching them on anything, like nothing. So we did that, and then what are you doing ahead of that? Like, how are you using social media, or how are you using even snail mail to, to build some level of familiarity with the executive so that when you meet them, like, it feels more comfortable than just you out of the blue walking up to them and saying, hey, how'd you, get, you, know, how'd you end up here? And, and so we started deploying that going into these events, and it was phenomenally successful. Like, all of a sudden, these conversations were turning into like real meetings or at least qualifying information that allowed them to plan strategically when they were going to engage in these deals that could be like three-year sales cycles in order to do this. It, but it was the planning that made the networking event so successful. All the other stuff, like they were good at that, but that that seemed to work more than anything. And Honestly, I can't tell you how many networking events I've walked into where I had no plan. It was random. I showed up. I didn't know who I wanted to talk to. I didn't know who was going to be there. And I just didn't, like, I didn't think that way, even though I'm, like, I'm, I know I'm teaching my client that way, but it's harder when you're doing it yourself sometimes to, to, to think that way. But it's a, but to me, that, that if, if, if you plan it in advance, you should get a better outcome on the other side. And I'm wondering what system you have in the book, or even maybe if I'm off base and like that's how you should do things. Oh, no, you're totally on base. So I talk about 90% of success in the networking room happens before you walk into it. I hope you're enjoying the podcast so far, and it's inspiring you to think about how you can become a better networker. We're going to take a short break to talk a little bit about Sales Gravy University. You know, it turns out that salespeople need to train just like elite athletes, and that's exactly what Sales Gravy University helps you do. But we're more than just an e-learning platform. We've got live virtual courses taught by our master trainers that are happening every single week. And this is why salespeople around the globe train at SalesGrave University and why hundreds of companies bring their salespeople to SalesGrave University to learn. You can learn more about SalesGravy University and browse our entire course catalog at learn.salesgravy.com. That's learn.salesgravy.com. And when you use our exclusive podcast coupon, Gravy123, that's G-R-A-V-Y-123, you can save 50% off on any course in our catalog. So go check out SalesGravy University and up your game so that you can become an ultra high performer. Now let's get back to the podcast. Right, but let's think about the introverted psyche for a second. All right, which is probably why, by the way, that you walk in unprepared, right? Because here's what the introvert does. If for someone that, you know, I mean, you push yourself through it. So you'll just go to the networking event, but you're not really excited about going. So you spend most of your mental capacity talking yourself out of going as opposed to what you're going to do when you walk in. The average introvert, though, knows that they've just lost their job or they've just decided their pipeline's looking pretty thin and they're about to have some really bad months. So they go, okay, I have to go networking. So they begrudgingly pick the first networking event that they see and they sign themselves up to go. And then they put it the furthest from their minds until it pops up on their calendar and says, you've got to go networking. And then they spend the next 30 minutes trying to convince themselves they don't need to go. And then they realize, okay, I've got to go. So they get in the car and they, they get themselves to the event and then they start talking to people. 
And then they say, oh, it doesn't really work out well for me. Well, of course it doesn't. You haven't had any planning and that's where the success is. So for me, there is some initial planning you need to do. For instance, you've got to come up with that, what I call a unified message, your version of the hustle lifeguard, the authority architect, the narrative strategist, the mission maven. The thing that, and you're right, it's the coalescence of, sci, uh, of, this, uh, of the psychology of the brain is what makes this work so well. If you get the message right, to get, if you just added value to them by being interested, you then do, I mean, marketers use this all the time on Facebook ads, billboards, a hook statement that gets people to lean in. And then you use the science of story, which commercials have been using for generations to get people in, engaged, invested. It, it's this combination of mental capacity that gets people to almost be addicted to you, which is why you want to leave them wanting more, which is why you set up the meeting to sell to them later. But you can get all of that prepared. One of the things that I like to do is I, like I set out the whole system. I plan out my stories. You don't need lots of stories. You know, you only need three based on the major problems that your niche follows. I practice everything. Like I even practice the dialogue with my wife and I tell her to be the heckler in the networking room that just doesn't believe anything I say. And that won't work for me. Whatever she needs to do to get me off guard, I practice all of it. So when I go into a networking event, it feels more like Groundhog Day. To them, it feels like an organic conversation. To me, I'm just playing my part like an actor would. The difference is an actor is pretending to be someone else. I just practice to portray the best version of myself. Now, once I have that planning, I then say, okay, I need to go networking. Now, knowing my niche market, if you don't know your niche market, again, you need to plan it. Like Nick from the insurance said, I can speak to everyone. I can sell insurance to everyone, but I love helping small business owners. So he then started to look for events where small businesses go. I love working with introverted service providers. I do a lot of work with, you know, tech companies too, but that's not what I go networking for. You know, I, I work with billion dollar companies like Oracle and Intel, but they want me to come and talk to them about storytelling, but they come find me because of my background and because of my experience. Who I'm passionate about helping and who I look for are the small business owners. So then when I decide I'm going networking, I say, okay, let's go look for events. And if I, if I go to an event, I'll look for something on meetup.com and then all their profiles are connected. So I'll then look through all the profiles and I'll decide who I want to speak to, like a Rolodex of possible appointments. I'm qualifying people. I'm looking at their profiles. Are they the decision makers? And then I'll connect with them before I go. Like if I'm going to a conference, actually there's a story in the book of how I did this. And by the way, the guy that I did this to endorsed the book. He's one of the senior vice presidents of IBM. And he endorsed the book, even though, even though the book talks about how I choreographed our initial meeting and the conversation that happens. So but now he and I have such a strong friendship. It would never have happened unless I did that. So, you know, the app had a Hoover, I think, was the, the conference app that they were using. So again, I went looking through all the people that I wanted to meet. Now, then I connected with them on, on LinkedIn. And I, you know, for the meetup group, I'd say something like, hey, I've never gone to this event. I'm really passionate. Share my passion about helping small business, is that something that you find a lot of people that go to that event are really caring about? And then they pretty much said, yes, you know, you should definitely come. You know, for, for Tom, I said, I, I just moved from Austin to Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I noticed you're local and you're coming to this conference. I hope you and I get an opportunity to walk past each other because I'm trying to develop a, a you know, more local connections. So he connected and said, yeah, if we run into each other, you know, we should, we should chat. Now, Every time you walk past one of these people, let's face it, more than half the people in any networking room are probably going to be introverts and it's just as uncomfortable as you. So you're a familiar face. You go, oh, I know you. Even if they only know your profile photo. Now, if they saw under your profile, I'm an insurance sales representative, they're going to run the other way. So you need to make sure you call yourself the hustle lifeguard or the rapid growth guy in your profile on LinkedIn. But now they're like, oh, I know you. Now, once you've done that, you've got your Groundhog Day conversation. But yes, you're 100% right, Jeff. You should plan what you're going to say. So for me, as I, as I gave the example before, you know, Tom Deacon, you know, I realized that he lived in my city. I realized, you know, based on where he was, and we ended up talking about the fun restaurants that we go to, the bookstores that we go to. We got talking about North Carolina and Chapel Hill specifically. When I got talking to the senior VP at Dell, I'd done my research and realized that he had a public Instagram profile. And that was all he talked about, Peloton bikes, Peloton bikes, Peloton bikes. He was just on that fad. So I'm a runner. And so I just brought up that, I, that I'm a runner, but you know, I'm really um, depressed that it's raining all the time right now. And I just haven't got something that I can use to exercise at home because the treadmill just doesn't do it for me. So what comes up? He goes, oh, you should try Peloton bikes. And we spent the next 20 minutes talking about his passion for Peloton bikes. 
then led to a further conversation. He ended up sponsoring one of the major festivals that I run in Austin every year. So the focal point of planning is everything. I mean, the way I see networking is you should know everything that you're planning on saying before you walk in. You should know everything about all the people you're planning on meeting and connected with them. So by the time you walk into the networking room, you've got a, you've got a series of planned conversations. So it doesn't feel so uncomfortable. It's like you're going in for a series of planned meetings. You already know a few things that can add value to them to make the conversation all about them. And then all the science that we're going to run through the power of a unified message and a great story is going to let them go, oh my gosh, how have I never met this guy? You become almost the most important person in their world at the time because they're so impressed that they've created this natural connection with you and they can feel your passion. And the truth is people don't experience passion sometimes for six, eight months because they live in these corporate jobs where everyone's given them problems and they've forgotten perhaps why they even got into it in the first place. You're the first person that they're going to meet where they're like, oh my gosh, I need to work with you. Even if I, I can't find a way, I'm going to find a way for us to be in a relationship together for a long period of time. And it doesn't matter if you just started in a job and you've only been in your career for six months and they're the senior vice president of AB and C. I mean, when I started and I had no business backgrounds in what I was doing, I would run a networking event like that. And I'd get these power supporters because like, oh my gosh, this person's a young superhero. I want to introduce them to everybody. You'll be blown away at what you can achieve, but it takes planning. Well, I think we've, we've nailed down a pretty good system here, right? So you plan in advance, you get to know people. And, and I did this recently really successfully with a, a group of high-level business people who have incredible connections. And I did that planning in advance and I learned about them. And what I planned more than anything were the questions I was going to ask them. So I, I knew their pictures when I walked up to them. And in fact, I just said, you're, and I said their name. And as soon as I said their name, they were in. And then I asked them the first question and then nature just took over. Like once they started talking and I got so many people afterwards reaching out to me to have a conversation or ask me advice, even though these were all people that I wanted to get advice from. So that planning made all the difference in the world. Getting them to talk first, to, to trigger their brain, disrupting patterns by not being the same thing everybody else is. I'm selling insurance, telling stories that pull people in, and then following up quickly. Don't wait for them to call you. You've got to take initiative and use obligation or reciprocity as a way to, to build the relationship and think about long game. Instead of going transactional, think about how do I build a relationship over time that benefits both of us and 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 then as you start seeing those relationships blossom, focus on the ones that are really that they're willing to lean back into you as well. Sounds like we got a, a pretty good system for that. Is there anything that we missed? So the only thing that I would suggest is that most introverts are like isn't that kind of stalkerish about, you know, checking out their social profiles and things like that? You know, I was on the Eventual Millionaire podcast, Jamie Masters, another introvert, by the way, enlisted by Entrepreneur and Inc. is one of the top 10 podcasts in the world for entrepreneurs. And she said, you know, I'm going to call you on this. Like, I bet you a lot of people are like, isn't it weird to bring up Peloton and things like that? And you notice when, the way I did it, because I planned it beforehand, I brought up my running passion and that I couldn't. So he brought up Peloton. So it became organic. But on top of that, I find that even when it becomes, it's obscenely obvious, people are actually impressed that you've done your research. You know, it's so funny. Like when I get on, I teach people sales call, you know, how to, how to handle an inbound sales call. And, you know, it's a scheduled meeting. And so many people, it so annoys me when they pick up the phone and they're like, okay, so tell me a little bit about your business. And it's like, I have a website. I've got a LinkedIn profile. I've written notes to the person that scheduled this appointment. How can you not know anything about me? Like by saying, you know, I just went through, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so glad we got to chat today. You know, I've just had a second to look over the brief notes that you left me. I've checked out your website. I've checked out your LinkedIn profile. It looks like you've done some amazing things. But what I want to do is take a step back here a little bit more about you, what you're struggling with and how I can be the most helpful to you in the time we have together today. People are blown away at how much research that you've done. And all of a sudden it makes the conversation much shorter because they're not trying to baby you through what they do, but it closes so many more deals. In a networking event, it's the same thing. If people realize that you've done your homework, you've done your due diligence, I mean, you've already connected with them on LinkedIn, so they're not thinking that you you know, stalk them. You actually physically reached out and they appreciate the fact that you took the time to do it. So the only piece of advice that I would give you is don't let that negative self-talk in your head say these behaviors aren't acceptable. Planning and preparation aids you to present yourself in the most effective way. Connecting and doing your research beforehand means that these people are actually open to speaking to you because they're already intrigued by your unified message that was on your profile because they would have checked you out too. 
these behaviors are things that you need to spend time beforehand though. Just knowing that you can do it and actually doing it completely different things. My first book, I mean, you know, it sold over 40,000 copies. People would call me and they're like, Matt, your book changed my life. And I'm like, have you embedded the story? I'm not doing that. Am I doing the sales process? I'm not doing that. I'm like, well, how has it changed your life? Well, just knowing I could. Well, I'd prefer you to actually put the behaviors into action to get the results. I think what we can never forget is that the most insatiable human need is the need to feel significant, like we matter, like we're appreciated. And we, we, we delude ourselves into believing that going and looking at someone's profile or knowing something about them or saying their name or asking them a question about something. Hey, I was, I was looking at your Facebook page. I saw that you just dropped your daughter off at Northwestern. I just dropped my son off too. What was that like for you? Because you know we're all in this together. People really dig that. They don't feel like you're stalking them. It makes them feel important because you cared enough to pay attention. The second thing we can't forget is the law of familiarity. And that simply says that the more familiar, familiar someone is with you, the higher the probability that they're going to engage and have a conversation. Familiarity breeds liking. It's like the first time you listen to a song and it doesn't sound really good to you, and then you hear it 20 more times, all of a sudden you start singing it in the shower. You know, that's familiarity. And th th those, that early research, just sending a LinkedIn connection ahead of, the, ahead of the, even if they don't accept it, they see your face. Going and looking at their page, they see that you're looking at their page. Sending them an email and say, I'm going to be here too. I hope we get a chance to, to connect. Little things like that create familiarity. And then, like you said, and I think you're exactly right. I think, you know, when you're an introvert, you think everybody's looking at you because you're an introvert. I mean, I know because I'm in that situation, but all the other introverts in the room are thinking the same thing. But I've been in those situations where I've walked into a room of strangers and then there's somebody I've never met before except for online. Like I've seen their face and I see a familiar face and what do I do? I beeline right to that person and go stand next to them because suddenly I feel like I've got somebody that knows me. There's an anchor in the room. So I think we, you know, we miss the opportunity to build those things and we do delude ourselves. I hear people all the time, is it stalking to go look at? I'm like, no, it makes them feel like you care. That's good. Let, let me shift into something that's a little bit more difficult for introverts to, to, to close out this conversation. And that is creating serendipity. So it's networking when it's not a networking event. And here's what I do to create serendipity. This is a really expensive way of doing it, but this is what I do. And, and I learned this is, I mean, I, I, I made the leap about 10 years ago because I realized how powerful it is. I never fly in the back of an airplane. I, and I don't get upgraded, I buy the ticket. I always fly first class, always. The people that I've met in first class, the people that are sitting next to me, from doctors to powerful attorneys to a guy who works with um, high net worth people to take care of their horses. I happen to be a horse guy and I was having a problem with a horse, like a big problem that was like costing me a massive amount of money on my very best horse. I'm sitting next to this dude and he goes, this is really easy. Here's exactly what you do. And he wrote it down in a napkin and it saved my horse's life to... Uh, to actors, I mean, you name it. I've met so many people, and not all those relationships have turned into into money, but a lot of them have turned into a lot of money over time. So that's what I do. I find it hard. I'm still sitting next to somebody, and I'm I'm sitting there going, okay, do I really want to talk to this person? How do I initiate the conversation? What do I say? What do I do? And and but but if you can't afford to buy a first class ticket or you're not flying, you know, if those, those things aren't happening or you're in your local city or town or what have you, you're riding a bus, a train or what have you, how do you create serendipity? Like how do you network in that, in those situations? If you're an introvert, like what, like there's, there's, there's some emotion involved in this to will yourself to make, have the conversation. And is that worth our time to even think about? Is it, I mean, is there, is there value in that for most people to network in that format? Oh, absolutely. I mean, so, I mean, of course, I understand why net introverts don't like that, but I've had to over time, again, when I talk about planning and preparation, it doesn't take a lot of, of work to be able to do that. So, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. So back before I could afford first class tickets and, and things like that, and, you know, I do frequent, you know, first class and business class, but I also like traveling, you know, economy sometimes because I'm going on a short flight and I find that a lot of people these days have that psychology of they don't want to spend that money. So I'll sit down and I'll have a conversation and I'll sit down and the first thing I'll say is, oh, are you going home or are you heading out for a meeting? And they'll, a lot of times we'll say, oh, I'm heading out for a meeting, especially if it's the morning. And we'll then have a dialogue and I'll joke about the fact that I won't pay for first class for short flights and that will then create this dialogue. Now we're having a dialogue about all the people that are in first class. Now, when I'm talking in, in the first class 
Senator. I'm like, oh, same question, same answer, but now we're having a different type of conversation. Now, there's a, there's a story in the book actually about the, uh, some of the best relationships I've created. One of them was literally at an airport. The flight had been delayed and I'm sitting in a, a, in a restaurant waiting for my, my flight to get sorted and I heard everybody else talking about the conference that they're going to next to me. And I, t- I, was, I was the speaker for the conference. So I turned around and I said, oh gosh, I'm hoping that we can get out today as well. And that is all I needed. Now that is, again, just building on something that you're overhearing. Now, when you go into, like, for, for instance, a restaurant, like when I go and speak at an event, I like to have a very quiet night beforehand. So I always tell the organizer, I understand you think I'm probably lonely in the hotel room. I promise you I'm not. But tomorrow, but if you want to take me out tomorrow, like after the event, you'll also have more to ask me. I can, I can answer more questions for you. But the night before, a lot of times I'll go out for a meal and I will generally, I'll sit at the bar and there'll be another executive sitting at the bar because they don't want to sit at a restaurant by themselves. And I'll be like, oh, you're here for business too, I'm assuming. And they'll then have a conversation. I'm like, oh, what did you order? Is it any good here? And that dialogue is all you need to strike up a conversation. And then I'll say, oh, what are you here for? And it literally brings the same conversation back. I'll then invest in them about what they do and what brought them there. And if they've got some time to enjoy the city and some of the things that I saw earlier today, if I'd been to the city before. And eventually they'll say, so rude of me, Matt. I can't believe I haven't asked you what you do. What is it that you do? And then I'll then get to do the exact same thing. Right? The thing is that you can create these serendipity moments everywhere. Like It's unbelievable. And I talk about this for a whole chapter. How many people tell me how lucky I am for creating, uh, for, for running into all these chance occasions where I've met all these right people. And you know, actually, we were talking about this beforehand, right? Uh, favor, uh, chance favors the prepared mind. I have practiced and practiced so much that I always have a conversation starter. Now, when I first started, it was a networking room and that's it. But once I mastered the networking room, I started to look for conversation starters that I could do when I was, you know, out at sport games, when I was, you know, at, at restaurants and I was by myself when, you know, I, I won't, I won't network when I'm with my wife, like that's me and my wife's time. So I've never learned anything around me and my wife in those moments. But anytime I'm by myself and I'm out in a city or I'm doing something and I see an opportunity, I almost get upset with myself unless I practice one of my conversation starters for two reasons. One is it'll either be a great opportunity I could have missed out on, or secondly, maybe it leads to nothing, but I learned something that didn't go well that I can then practice later so that when I do run into that right connection, I know exactly how to handle it. So one of the ways that I've helped myself create these conversation starters and sort of get over the fear is that I, and I've, I've been practicing this for a long time and it helps me because I travel so much. So I'm in a lot of strange places is that I, when I get into an Uber, I, I have a conversation with a driver or if I'm, you know, on a bus, I'll ask the driver, like, and I, my, the way I started, I said, are they treating you all right around here? Like I always do that. And they'll smile and laugh. And then I'll just start asking them questions and they'll tell me about themselves. And and it doesn't always lead to anything in particular other than making the other person feel good, but it gets me in the habit. So I think a lot of it's just practice. But one conversation starter that works very well for me and I've always practiced and, and it doesn't make me feel even a little bit nervous is, uh, is I, I'm a big fan of fast food. And it's one of the reasons I'm fat because I, I, like I dig fast food. So I'm always like, like getting the burger. The, I think the McRib is back and I'm going down to get one. So, but I'm waiting in line and there are people in line and they have logo shirt on. Like they have the, the, the name of their company on. And I'll go, hey, I couldn't help but notice that you were, you work for a blah, blah, blah company. What do you do there? And people love to talk about that. They'll, oh, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. And then I'll, you know, and, and, and then I can always start asking questions and it just helps me open up dialogue or find out about the company or like, who, like who's the person over there that does that? Or how, how are things going? up, down, that type of thing. And I learn a lot about the marketplace that way. I don't always create the same sort of these reciprocal relationships that last a long time, but I learn things I didn't know and and they're usually pretty good conversations. And, and, I, and I never feel like even the least bit of nervousness about that at all. I don't know why, maybe it's because we're all in the fast food restaurant and I'm hungry, but uh, but I think that, I think that, I think that you're, what you said, and I think this is important is you have to be intentional about this. Like you have to decide you're going to do it. And then, and then you got to practice. For me, the practice has been the way that I've, I've gotten myself better at those type of conversation is having conversations with strangers that have no zero impact on my life. I'm probably going to have zero impact on their life. So there's nothing to lose, nothing to gain. And my whole 
thought is if I ask them about their day and let them talk and I don't say anything at all, all I did was make their day brighter and they walk away thinking, wow, that was a really nice person. But I get practice getting out of my own head and having those conversations. Yeah, I think it's really just not having an agenda. I mean, I think one of the biggest things is when we network, when we have that transactional hat on, or we see those people that attract, we think that's the behavior we're supposed to exhibit. That's the wrong behavior. It's not going to lead you to success. So as soon as we accept that and we realize networking is really about learning about people, well, then introverts have some amazing you know, advantages. We listen well, we empathize really well. You know, If we don't think that the goal of a conversation is to get them to buy before the end of the conversation, then all of a sudden it feels more relaxed. It feels more comfortable. And I, I hate to use dating examples, but I was a shy introverted kid. So I remember that, you know, that when I, I started to read books on how to meet women and how to date and things like that. And, you know, I, there were some books that were like clearly written for extroverts about, you know, wearing peacock clothes and yuck. But there are others that was, would, would talk about the fact that the best thing to do is just get used to having conversations with people. It's like a muscle. Once you start to warm up, and then it just doesn't mean, and it's not that, you know, you want to go home with every girl, but it's it's really that by the when you walk into that right person, you know exactly what to say and you feel comfortable in your own skin. It's the same thing with networking. If you go into a restaurant and you're seeing someone with the logo and you strike up a conversation, you get used to having a dialogue with no agenda. Now, I think you'll be surprised if you've done all your planning beforehand, how often it actually does lead to really great outcomes. But when you realize that that outcome is nothing more than catching up for a coffee at another time or deciding that you're going to be in more contact with each other, that's not making you feel like you're salesy. Like if I'm waiting for my, my, you know, my, I'm a double quarter pounder man myself. When I, when I go and have a double quarter pounder, if I've got someone in the front that's trying to lead me to a transactional sale and I'm like, listen, I'm, a, I'm away at the moment, I'm traveling, and this is my one opportunity where I'm allowed to have a double quarter pounder without feeling bad, I'm doing it, and I'm getting sold something, last thing I want to have. But if somebody's just going, oh my gosh, what you're doing sounds so interesting and asking more, you know, I'm likely going to say we should, you know, I want to go and eat my double quarter pounder now and I'm going to enjoy it, which means I don't want you around, but why don't we catch up for a coffee at another time and I'd love to chat. Right. So I think it's the going in without an agenda, but being planned so that when you go in without an agenda, the the dialogue that you have still leads to the optimum outcome every single time. And the nervousness will go by doing it more often. Now, I know we started this at the beginning. You have to realize that once you have that so down pat that you've got, you know, I've got one client that called herself the mission maven that focused on health tech companies, which is the hardest thing to get to. But as soon as she got the messaging down, she approached people on LinkedIn. She put out great content on LinkedIn and her business exploded. I mean, she got acquired within 18 months. But until you've got it right, when you're doing it verbally, you build it all online. And a lot of times it's not clear, which is why a lot of, I see all these people podcasting every day, writing blogs every day, trying to do that horrible outreach thing where it's just a straight sales pitch. And of course that's not going to work. And then that's why they say online doesn't work the same as, you know, as, as, as networking. The truth is, if you've got a vanilla message, you have to be the loudest and the hardest working. If you're clear, concise, and you know your marketplace, then your clients will almost chase you. I love it. I think it's a great way to end. Will you hold that book up for me? Hold it up and, and tell us where we can get it. So it's The Introvert's Edge to Networking. And you can access it at theintrovertsedge.com forward slash networking. You can also download the first chapter there. So if, if you're an introvert that wants the baby step into networking, I'd suggest read the first chapter. I will get you over that belief that you can't network. And then I'll outline a strategy that will really show you how networking can be possible for you and actually why, as long as you're embracing a networking system that's built for an introvert and their unique abilities, how you can actually outperform your extroverted counterparts. Perfect. Tell us that. Tell us the uh, the website one more time. So it's theintrovertsedge.com forward slash networking. Perfect. Awesome. You can get the first chapter. Go buy the book. It's amazing. Matthew Pollard is one of a kind. Is 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 the, the, what I, th I think what I like most about you is that the content you produce is just so actionable, easy to access. It's uh, it's not it's not full of things that you know that are hard to use. It's not you know a bunch of jargon that nobody will understand. It's just stuff that that works and it's practical. Thank you so much for joining me today. Everybody, go buy the Introverts Edge Networking. Go get the book. Start with Introverts Edge. Buy them both. They're fantastic books. My favorites. Thank you again for joining me, Matthew. It's my absolute pleasure, Jeb. Thanks for having me on.
Well, I really enjoyed this conversation with Matthew Pollard. I always do. He's brilliant. And the things that he talks about, his tactics, his techniques, these things are universal. I don't think it really makes a difference whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. It really helps you focus on how you're connecting with other people. And those connections in today's world are so very important. If you didn't catch my number at the beginning of the show, let me give it to you again. It's 706-397-4599. That's 1-706-397-4599. I hope you'll take a moment to send me a text message and let me know what you thought about the podcast. And if you got any ideas for future podcasts, why don't you include those as well? I look forward to hearing from you. I'll see you on the next episode.